You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. Good morning, church family. I wanted to share with you this morning a memory I have of my older brother. I have two older brothers. One is a preacher down in Texas. He's six years older than I am, but my other brother, who is two and a half years older than me, he died in an accident in 1997, the same year I graduated. He was in college. He was just 21 at the time. But a memory I have is not long before that happened, I was a senior, senior in high school, and my brother was home from college. I forget what season it was or when it was, but we went, we, he wanted to go to the dirt track races. There was uh, some dirt track races not too far from where we lived, about 45 minutes or so away, and he called up a friend from church and then said, Colby, you come too. I thought, all right, awesome, I'll go. And we went and we watched the sprint cars and the demolition derby and Afterwards, we went to uh, Waffle House uh, for a late night, I would say snack, but none of us snacked. We full-fledged at a meal at like one o'clock in the morning, pigged out as much as we could. And uh, there might have been some cat food eaten on a dare by somebody in the car, but it was a fun time. And I, and I recall that memory very keenly because I remember thinking in that moment, I wasn't just a little brother. You know, I've been the little brother for, well, a good, all of my life, but, you know, for a good portion of the, my growing up years, that was my role, being the little brother. And I would uh, like to cause problems with my older brothers. I would like to maybe start a fight or two and let them duke it out. You know, I was a little bit of an instigator. And I like to disrupt things. I thought I enjoyed the sensation of knowing that I somehow were ruining their plans or activities. And often they were forced to take me. Uh, as a little brother, sometimes my mom or dad, you know, would say, well, take Colby too. If they were going to go out, hang out with friends, do something fun, uh, we'll take Colby along. Oh, mom, I don't want to take Colby along. He's you know, the little brother tagging along. And whenever I did go, I was like, sit there, be quiet. Don't embarrass me. Sit in the back seat. Definitely don't rat me out or tattle or anything when we get back home to mom. You know, if we were doing something that maybe mom or dad wouldn't approve of. That never happened. But I was very much knew my role as little brother. And sometimes I fulfilled that role. Other times I like to in little brother faction, uh, be the tattler, be, be the one to rat them out or to cause the dis- disruption or to embarrass them or to ruin their, their, their plans. But that night with my brother, when we went to the dirt track races and then went to Waffle Houses, I wasn't a little brother. I was 18 at that point. He was uh, 20 or 21. He died when he was 21. It might have been before or after his birthday. Again, I can't remember, but I wasn't the little brother in that moment. I was just a brother. I was a friend. I was somebody invited to go along because I had arrived and kind of welcomed me into adulthood. 
in some ways in that moment. I don't want to make it bigger than it was. It was just, you know, brothers hanging out. But I remember thinking, huh, that was fun. We weren't fighting. You know, we weren't worried about sibling rivalry or any of that stuff. We were just hanging out. Several months later, I was by his bedside, his hospital bed, and the doctors were telling us that there was nothing more they could do and that uh, there was uh, no hope for recovery. And part of the sting of losing a brother at that age as I was getting into my adulthood is that I missed maybe some more of those experiences I could have had where I wasn't just going to be the little brother anymore, but I was going to be, you know, a full-fledged part of an adult relationship of us being brothers. And I share that because we've been talking in this series about holiness is based on relationship. That I am not just made holy or accomplish holiness by what I do, it's who I'm connected with. Um, two weeks ago, God is our Father. Our Father, who is holy, makes His children holy by the very fact that we are His children. And He expects and demands holiness from His children. And last week we looked at being the bride of Christ. Christ makes His bride beautiful and holy and pure and clean. And then we can grow up into learning how to live as the bride of Christ and the church being the bride of Christ as the bride of Christ we're being called to. This week, that relationship I want to key in on is the idea of being a sibling, a brother, or a sister. And the verse I want to use is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. For indeed, he who makes holy and those being made holy all have the same origin. And so he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. The one who makes holy... And the ones who are made holy are from the same place. Now that idea of from the same origin, your translation might say from the same family or from the same father. Uh, the actual wording there is very vague. All it actually says is the one who makes holy and those who are made holy are from the one. Are of the one. Of the one what? Well, that's kind of what the translators fill in a little bit. Talking about family, talking about origin, talking about nature. Now that we are of the same nature. The one who makes holy and those who are made holy, they share in the one holiness. They share in that relationship and in the full benefits of the holiness that comes from that relationship. Because the one that makes holy has to be holy. If you're going to make somebody else holy, you have to be holy. That's Jesus. Jesus takes his holiness and shares it with us. Because his holiness is perfect, complete, absolute. It is the holiness of God himself, the holiness of the Son of God. But the ones who are made holy, that's us. The ones who receive that gift of holiness have now the same holiness that Jesus has. The one who makes holy and those who are made holy have the same holiness. That's a powerful thought because that means that 
my holiness is not subpar. It's not inferior. It's not a cheap knockoff. It's not like, you know, Jesus who has earned his holiness. And, and uh, earned maybe isn't even the right word. Jesus has lived up to his capacity of holiness as God himself, as the Son of God, fully embracing the nature of God the Father, perfectly living out his life as the divine, only begotten Son of God, as God made flesh. And so his holiness is innate, is perfect, is absolute. And I look at me and I think, oh, my holiness hidden that. Not even close. But Hebrews 2.11 says, Colby, you're wrong. Your holiness is complete. It is absolute. It is perfect. Because it's the same holiness of the one who made you holy. We share in that. We belong in the same family. We belong with the same father. We have the same source of our holiness. It's in Jesus. And his holiness has now become my holiness. Many people know that Tom Brady has six Super Bowl rings. First player ever to accomplish that feat. He is not, however, the first person to accomplish the feat of getting six Super Bowl rings. He's the first player. But many people actually have six Super Bowl rings. Coaches, assistant coaches, other staff members, because every part of the organization or the organization actually determines who gets a football ring. It's not just the players and not just the head coach. It's a big portion of their staff. And another guy who has six Super Bowl rings, his name is Bill Nunn. No idea who he was. I just happened to look him up and stumble across him. He was a scout for the Pittsburgh Steelers from 1970 all the way up until the year he died in 2014. And the Pittsburgh Steelers won six Super Bowl championships in that time. Sometimes he was part-time, sometimes he was full-time, and then even when he retired, he was just semi-retired, he kind of still helped them a little bit till the year he died. And so he has six Super Bowl rings as well, even though he never stepped foot on the field. He wasn't a football player. He actually was a basketball player, recruited to play with the Harlem Globetrotters, but he turned them down back in the 70s because he wanted to be a sports writer. So he went to work in Pittsburgh for a newspaper as a sports writer and eventually, and eventually kind of got pulled in bit by bit to the Pittsburgh Steelers organization, and they saw his value as a scout. And so he had a role in their football championships, even though he never stepped out on the field even though he never scored a touchdown. Here's the thing. His six rings, just as valuable, just as real, just as authentic as Tom Brady's. Tom Brady, who scored all those touchdowns and got all those MVP awards and recognized this, now one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. This guy, Bill Nunn, nobody's heard of, but... His six rings are of the same quality, the same material, the same preciousness, the same exclusivity as Tom Brady's rings. It's crazy to think about. 
that they can both have a set of six rings each whenever Tom Brady's obviously just so up there and this Bill Nunn guy sounds kind of average. Well, that's the way it is with us and Jesus' holiness. Jesus attained to holiness. Jesus, he's a bad metaphor here, but won the game. Jesus accomplished the victory. That's better. Jesus attained to his full measure of holiness and is adorned and clothed perfectly with his holiness. The holiness I have is actually the exact same holiness. Same quality. Same ability to let me come into the presence of God just as Jesus comes into the presence of God because the one who makes holy and those who are made holy are of the one. They go together. And I get to enjoy the benefits of the victory that Jesus won. I get to enjoy the holiness that Jesus attained. My favorite line in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 is, He is not ashamed. He is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Then when Jesus looks at me, you know, he has every right to say, Oh man, there's Colby messing things up again. He has every right to, that's just my little brother in the back seat, don't, don't pay any attention to him. No, he actually looks down and says, oh, that's, that's my brother. That's Colby. He's my brother. He's not ashamed of me because I now have his holiness. Luke chapter 15 is the famous story of the prodigal son. And I think the prodigal son's not a very good term or title for that parable. Because really this parable is not about the prodigal son. That's not the point Jesus is making. The son who runs away and squanders everything he has, everything his father gave him. Wild women in a foreign country living a depraved and sinful life. Eventually comes to his senses, comes back home. The father embraces him beautiful picture of God's love and acceptance and welcomes him back. But the point Jesus is really keying in on is not the son, not even the father who represents God. The lesson he's trying to teach is about the older brother. A point that a lot of people even forget about in the parable, but I think Jesus is emphasizing. Because the older brother, he sees his father run out and meet him. He sees the father put the ring on his hand and say, hey, let's kill the fattened calf and celebrate my son's home. And the older brother hears about it. And he gets upset and goes to his father and says, Father, you're doing what for this low-life scum of a brother? Of... He, he, he made his own mess. He made his own bed. He can sleep in it and you're celebrating Come on, Dad. You killed a fattened calf for him? When have you ever even killed a goat for me? It's kind of a strange idea in our modern idea, but the idea of killing the fattened calf and throwing a big party. Well, he said, when have you even killed a small goat so that I could have a party with my friends? And I've been the good son. I've worked hard day in, day out. I've never left and run away and squandered, you know, the family fortune. I diligently served you and was faithful and a good son. And he's upset. He, he's jealous. He's bitter. 
And why are we celebrating him? And the father consoles him and says, son, you know I love you. And you know everything I have is yours. You have the full inheritance now because your son blew his inheritance. But don't be angry. Don't be upset. Because this brother of yours who is lost is now found. This brother of yours who is dead is now alive. Celebrate with us. And the end of the parable, the older brothers, we don't know what he did. But kind of, it's a horrible thought to think that the older brother missed the party. The party that his father was throwing to celebrate, welcoming home the son, the prodigal son. The older brother was outside sulking rather than enjoying and celebrating the good that had been done and the, the restoration that had happened. The life that had been saved. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and other religious leaders of his day saying, don't be like that older brother. Celebrate when a sinner comes home to God. Don't be bitter and angry because they receive blessing and salvation. Jesus is our older brother and he's not like that older brother. Actually, Jesus is the older brother who faithfully follows the direction of his father and the heart of his father and goes after us. Jesus came down. We we broke this world. We left the presence of God. We abandoned our relationship with our father and pursued our own way. And it didn't turn out very well. Sin, death, pain, sorrow. But Jesus leaves his father's presence But he comes to get us. And he brings us back home. By defeating death itself. He dies on the cross for us. He rises from the grave so that we might rise from the grave. And so that we can now come into the presence of God. So that our sins can be atoned for. So that we can have his holiness. And we can again approach the place of our father. Who is holy. Seated on his holy throne. And we might come in with Jesus and see everybody looking at us. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, or maybe even felt that way in church a little bit. Like, ooh, I don't look like these other people. And we tell Jesus, he's pulling us along, saying, this is my brother, everybody. This is my brother. Again, he's not ashamed. This is my brother. Isn't it great? He's here. We say, Jesus, I don't think I belong here. I'm covered in pig slop. I'm, I'm covered in filth. Everybody here is so nice and neat. And you, especially Jesus, perfect and holy. And I'm a sinner. I don't belong here. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, you belong here. This is your home. That's your father. I'm your brother. And we say, well, but I'm not dressed right. I don't fit the part. And Jesus says, look again. And we look down and suddenly I'm not wearing my clothes. I'm wearing the very same clothes Jesus has on. His perfect, white, flowing, spotless robes are now my perfect, spotless, flowing robes of righteousness and holiness. 
Not because I earned them, but because Jesus gave them to me and now I wear them too. And so I do belong. I belong in my Father's presence. I have the very same robes, the very same holiness that Jesus himself has. The one who makes holy and those who are made holy are of the one. And Jesus is not ashamed to say, hey, this is my brother. Let's celebrate. Like the older brother in that story the prodigal son should have done. So now I've got the clothes of Jesus. Now I've got the holiness of Jesus on me. Now I am fully made holy because Jesus has made me holy. Now, and this is a phrase I've used throughout this whole series, let's live up to it. If I'm wearing clothes that my brother has not just given me, but, you know, Jesus worked, worked, Jesus lived his whole life to make his perfect holy garments perfect. Every minute of every day, he was being holy. Every minute of every day, that holiness was glorifying God and doing the work of God's kingdom. Every minute of every day, he was sacrificing. And then it concluded with his great sacrifice, his very death on the cross, that he died for the express purpose to give me that holiness, to let me receive the holiness while he received the punishment of my unholiness. And then he conquers, he rises from the grave so that I might rise from the grave and gives me those clothes. And now I'm wearing them. And so... My brother gave me these clothes and invited me into the full blessings of the family, even though I didn't deserve it. And now I get to wear those clothes. And he's not ashamed to call me his brother. Here's the thing. Let's not be ashamed of Jesus' holiness. Let's not shrink back. Let's not worry about what people think of us because oh look at that guy there he's trying to be extra holy he's a churchy guy doing churchy stuff or maybe just the desire to oh man wouldn't it be fun to roll around in the mud again we look at our garments and we say not a chance I'm proud. I boast in Jesus, my Lord. I boast in the cross of Christ, which has made me holy. And that gives me the motivation to not want to tarnish that holiness. That gives me the motivation to cast off, to finish getting rid of the parts that I'm holding on to. That sin that so easily entangles. 
You know, if I'm wearing the beautiful robes of Jesus, the holy robes of the perfect high priest, and yet I've got a dirty glove, maybe a dirty shoe. Um, I can be pretty hard on my shoes. And sometimes they get in pretty bad shape. Well, you know what? They don't match the holy clothes Jesus has given me. So you know what? Take it off. Throw it away. Nobody's here in the church building. I can do that. I'm not throwing anybody. I probably won't do that this Sunday. But throw it away. Get rid of it. Cast off the sin that so easily entangles and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, the one who's made you who you are by giving you his holiness. And embrace and live up to and enjoy and seek after the holiness that you're already wearing. And get rid of the unholy things that are still lingering. That's what our journey of sanctification is all about. Living up to the clothes Jesus has already put on us. And saying, I'm not ashamed and I'm not afraid and I'm not scared to keep pursuing the holiness that Jesus has called us to. Be holy. God said, be holy for I am holy. Jesus, in the spirit here of Hebrews chapter 2, says, Be holy because I have made you holy. You are wearing my very holiness. Keep living like it.